What is God's word for you today? So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given to us so that we may better know who you are. So that you can reveal yourself to us. And that you can also show us more about who we are and your plans and your purposes for us and for our life. And so that we can also better look around and to better understand our neighbor and to better understand the world that we live in and how we are called to live faithfully in it. And so, Lord, I pray that you uh, would show us those things today. Teach us about yourself. Teach us about our own selves. Teach us about our neighbor and teach us about our, our world. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? I'm going to read Re- Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 17. John writes this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on them, nor any scorching heat For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. You may be seated. Well, y'all, we are through the easy part of Revelation, okay? The next 12 chapters of the book of Revelation are challenging to understand. Uh, These are the chapters where many people read through them and they scratch their heads and they begin to give up because it just seems so difficult to understand. In these next 12 chapters, we have this unsealing of seven scrolls, or uh, of seven seals on the scroll that was in the right hand of the one who is on the throne. We have the, the blowing of seven trumpets, and we have the pouring out of seven bowls of God's wrath. And so it's in these chapters where we are introduced to these uh, very infamous images uh, from the book of Revelation. It's in these chapters where we're introduced to to the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse who come riding out on their horses. We hear about, about a dragon who is Satan himself, who is at work deceiving the world. We're introduced to a beast that comes out of the sea and a beast that comes from the land and this harlot that rides on a dragon. 
And we're introduced to this number 666. And what in the world does that mean? These next 12 chapters are incredibly difficult to understand. And biblical scholars and theologians and pastors don't make things all that much easier. If you crack open four different commentaries, you'll read that there are often four very different views about what's happening here. In particular, in these 12 chapters of the book of Revelation. These next 12 from uh, Revelation chapter 6 until 17, 16, 17. So, now... As I've been thinking about how to preach through this section, there's a lot of different ways that we could approach this. We could get into the details of the symbolic images and of what all of they represent. We could, could dive deep into how Revelation is connected to the Old Testament prophets of Daniel and Zechariah and Jeremiah and Isaiah. We could dive into all the symbolic numbers and what they represent. And we could outline a lot of the different timelines that different people have put together in order to make sense of this section of the book. Those are all perfectly good and acceptable ways to teach the book of Revelation. And we are in the age of podcasts and YouTube. And so if you would like information on any of those areas of the details of how to understand this book... I would be glad to give you some guidance of where to go to find those things. For all of the complicated and difficult images that we will encounter in this book, and especially in the next 12 chapters or so, I want to take the next five weeks to focus on one simple question. And that is this. How do we faithfully follow the Lamb in a world feverishly following the dragon? How do we faithfully follow the Lamb in a world that is feverishly following the dragon? We are told in the book of Revelation that the dragon is Satan, that ancient serpent, the enemy of God, the one who hates us and who is out to steal and to kill and destroy. And he steals and he kills and he destroys by offering people a different way. Really, any other way other than the way of the Lamb. In the letters of the seven churches that we looked at in chapters 2 and 3, we saw that our enemy can and does use anything to lead us to some other way other than the way of Jesus the Lamb. In some contexts, contexts, he uses suffering and persecution to cause people to doubt the kindness and the goodness of God. And that through that persecution and that suffering that they would deny him. And so he uses that for his purposes. In other contexts, he uses wealth and safety and comfort and security to distract us and cause us to compromise our faith and to deny the way of the Lamb. So the next 12 chapters of this book, I want to say to you, I suggest to you that they speak about God's judgment on this world that is feverishly following the dragon... And it tells us that in the midst of God's judgment on the world that is feverishly following the dragon, that we, as followers of Jesus, need to hold tightly to the Lamb. Because while the Lamb is pouring out His judgment on the world, at the very same time, the dragon is pouring out His anger on us. And so there's this calling in this part of the book for followers of the Lamb to be ready to suffer. To be ready to suffer. 
The life of following Jesus, following the Lamb, is a harrowing journey. Living faithfully to the Lamb is costly. It is usually easier to move along with the current of the world and to simply go the way of the dragon. And so our focus for the next 12 chapters that we'll look at over the next five weeks is to look at this question. How do we faithfully follow the Lamb in a world that feverishly follows the beast? And we will dive into some of those different questions and the different symbols and the different numbers and what they represent. But they will all to be to help us answer this question, how we faithfully follow the Lamb in a world that is feverishly following the dragon. We're going to be reminded in these next 12 chapters that we as Christians need to be ready for a great tribulation, a great trial. But through all of that trouble, what these chapters are going to say to us are that the Lamb is in control. On Jesus' last night with his disciples, he gave them that beautiful teaching from John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. And in the middle of that, as he's giving him their instructions, he says to them, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. That in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. It's the same word that is used in the book of Revelation to talk about tribulation. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Be encouraged. I have overcome the world. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. In this next part of Revelation, we are told that we have a choice to make. We will either worship the Lamb and follow His way, or we will worship some other thing and follow the dragon and His way. That is our choice to make. And it's been the choice since the moment that that dragon, the ancient serpent, slithered his way into the garden with this choice that he made available to Eve and to Adam. To listen to his word rather than to the word of God. It's the same choice that the Israelites had to make in the desert when some of them wanted to go back into slavery. It's the same choice that Joshua posed to the people when he said, Choose you this day who you are going to serve. But as for me and for my house, we are going to serve the Lord. There are two competing rulers, two competing lords, the lamb and the dragon. Which one is your Lord? Which one is your king, the lamb or the dragon? And here's the thing. If the Lamb isn't your king, if he isn't the most important thing in your life, then you are by default following the way of the dragon. You can be following or putting anything else as first. Self, money, sex, power, comfort, safety, security, whatever it may be, anything else. If anything else is first, then you are following the way of the dragon. You cannot serve two masters. So last week we, we spent some time in Revelation chapter 5 with this image of the lamb. 
And this image of the lamb becomes the main way, the main image that Jesus is described in the rest of the book. The image of the slain lamb in the midst of the throne, at the center of reality, at the center of unbroken praise, this becomes the main image of the Lord Jesus through the rest of the book. So this week as I was studying, I started to to count all of the times that the word lamb was used in the book of Revelation. I just started kind of counting through them, and I was I was surprised. I would have guessed that it would have been like some number like 10 or 12. You know, that's kind of a, an important number. Um, and so I counted them all, all up, and the word lamb was used 29 times. Now, I thought this was weird because... There are five or six different phrases or important words that are used in the book of Revelation that are, that are used in, um, in multiples of seven. The way that John writes this book is incredible. There's so many Easter eggs to find in all of it. And so I thought 29 is a weird number because I really wanted it to be 28, because that would have fit with this idea that, you know, 7 times 4 is 28. I was like, darn, that would have been a great point to be able to make. It was 29 times. So I moved on, and then I thought, wait a second. And I looked, and there's one time where it says that the beast had horns like a lamb. So 28 times... <laughs> The word lamb is used to describe Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I think John had some help writing this book. It's an amazing thing. So that's, those are some of the details that if you begin to study this book a lot, if you were to go, and I'll show you some podcasts or some YouTube who, who kind of get into some of this nitty-gritty stuff. There's some neat, neat things in this book. It's an incredible, incredible book. My point is, Jesus is called the Lamb a lot in the Bible, in Revelation. It's the main image that we receive about who Jesus is. And what we see as this book unfolds is that the image of the slain Lamb is not only a symbol for how Jesus saves people, it's also an image for how Jesus rules the world. So we know about Jesus, the slain lamb, the, the sacrificial lamb on the cross, and how that connects to the Old Testament Passover feast and the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament. And so we kind of have that in our imagination, that, that Jesus is a sacrificial lamb who takes away our sin. But as this book unfolds, what we read is that Jesus is not only a lamb when he's saving the world, he's also the lamb when he's ruling the world. When he is caring for his people, he is the lamb. We are told that he is the lamb who is our shepherd. I read that for you in Revelation chapter 7. That he is the lamb who is our shepherd. When he is judging sin in Revelation, he is the lamb. In chapter 6, verse 16, it says that the kings and the princes of the earth who reject his rule hide from the wrath of the lamb. In his wrath... He is still the Lamb. When he is conquering his enemies, he is still the Lamb. The symbol of the slain Lamb tells us how God saves people 
And it also tells us how God rules the world. And that can be a challenge for us to understand. Because we prefer our rulers to be lions, not lambs. Lions conquer. Lions win. Not the Detroit Lions, but lions, <laughs> lions win. Lambs are conquered. They're the prey. Lambs lose, and no one wants to follow a loser. And friends, this is why it's so tempting to follow the way of the dragon. Because dragons, like lions, they win. They're powerful. They win the battles that they fight. They get their own way. And so we have to be reminded, because it doesn't make sense to our worldly understanding of things, that the Lamb was victorious through his death on the cross. But it was a victory. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the resurrection. Oops. Triumphing over them by the cross. Paul doesn't say that he disarmed his enemies and made a public spectacle of them by rising from the dead. He said he disarmed his enemies and made a public spectacle of them by dying on the cross. Of course, his resurrection was an act of victory too, but that's very easy and plain for us to understand. That is very clearly victory over death to our eyes. It's a bit more difficult for us to get our minds around the victory of the cross. How is it that God could be victorious over evil by making himself subject to evil? On that day that Jesus died nearly 2,000 years ago, most of the people that were around Calvary Hill simply saw, with their own eyes, three common thieves hanging on a cross. Just another day in the Roman Empire. People would have seen this scene frequently. It was nothing new to see some common criminal hanging up on a pole. No one knew that day that they were looking at God's victory. It was hidden. God's victory was concealed in weakness. It was concealed in suffering. From our perspective, we could not see that as a victory. The disciples who had been spending years with Jesus did not see this as a victory. They ran away and were scattered and were afraid for their own lives. But for God's, from God's perspective, Jesus' suffering on the cross was the way that he took and absorbed all of the evil and all of sin in the world upon himself. And as the perfect son of God, he, he gave up his life willingly. And that's essential to understand. He gave up his life willingly, with a purpose. No one took his life from him. He gave it. 
And by giving it up, he showed that evil and death had no power over him. That he was willing to go through it for the sake of God's purposes and God's plans and for our sake. That it had no power over him. So friends, it is not only the glory and power of the resurrection where God is victorious, but also in the weakness and vulnerability of the cross where Jesus is victorious over sin and evil. Jesus saved the world as the lamb. And we also need to reckon with this idea that he also rules the world as a lamb. Throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, the throne that's at the center of all reality is called the throne of God and of the Lamb. The Lamb is on the throne. He saved the world with self-sacrificial love, and he continues to rule the world with that same kind of self-sacrificial love. All of his actions, from his redeeming and his saving work, to his justice and his judgment, to the expressions of his wrath, are all expressions of his self-sacrificial love for the world that he created and for people that he made. So we are called to follow this lamb. He is the ruler, and we are called to follow him. We're called to follow him in this world that is feverishly following the way of the dragon, that only knows the kind of victories that lions can bring. We are called to faithfully follow the Lamb. So in Revelation chapter 7, John sees this vision of a great multitude of God's people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation who are around the throne worshiping the Lamb. These are those people who have refused to follow the dragon— and who have faithfully followed the Lamb. And as we finish today, I want to point out three things that these followers of the Lamb do. Three things that these followers of the Lamb do that we may continue to live in them because I believe we are a part of them. First is that we witness to the Lamb. Verses 7 through 10. I'm sorry, uh, verse 10. This great multitude from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. We follow the Lamb by witnessing about Him, by declaring to the world that salvation is found in Him. The word witness in the Bible, in in Greek, is martyrion, which is where we get the word martyr, someone who dies for their faith. A witness is someone who is willing to offer up their life for Jesus. I grew up in the American Baptist churches, and they were um, a great mission-sending denomination in the 18th, 19th, and 20th century. And there is this seal that I just think is wonderful. I think I've shared it once or twice before. But this is the American Baptist Foreign Mission Society. And this is their seal. On the seal is a bull. And this bull is standing between a plow and a burning altar. And above it, it says, ready for either. The bull standing before the plow, this symbol of the work that a bull does, or the possibility of a bull being sacrificed on an altar. And these missionaries, in their passion, put together this beautiful seal saying, ready for either. We are ready 
to work and to give our entire lives to you with the work and service that we offer to you, or we're willing to die for you. We're ready for either. The sacrifice of the work that we do or the sacrifice of the death that we die. We're ready for either. And friends, we are called to be ready for either. To give our lives over to be Christ. To be ready to be a witness to Jesus through our life or through our death. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that we live in a world that follows the dragon. A world that is opposed to the truth, opposed to the light of the gospel. And so if we are going to faithfully follow the gospel, then suffering, resistance to our life should be expected. It's something that we should anticipate and prepare for. It's something that we shouldn't be surprised at, Peter says in one of his letters. So first... As those who follow the Lamb in our world, this world that feverishly follows the dragon, we are called to witness to the Lamb. We also follow the Lamb by worshiping the Lamb. Verses 11 through 12. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they all fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever. I love these times in Revelation where it's just and, 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 and. This is a description of the character and the worthiness of God. When we worship, we are giving God what is rightfully His. We are proclaiming who He is. We don't only worship God because of what He has done for us. We worship simply for who He is. As the one perfect and holy and righteous and wise and powerful and strong God who deserves our thanks and our praise and our honor. The world feverishly gives their thanks and honor to many other things, to other idols. They offer their bodies on the altar of self or money or sex or power or security. We follow the Lamb by worshiping Him, by giving Him the first place in our life, by putting no thing or no one else before Him. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. We worship him. Third is that we follow the lamb by trusting him. We follow the lamb by trusting him. Verses 15 through 17. Those who have come out of the great tribulation, therefore they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John reaches back into the Psalms, Psalm 23, where we have this good shepherd, a leader, a ruler over our lives who desires good for us, who leads us to refreshing streams, to good pasture, and who restores our soul. And he's also the one who walks with us to the valley of the shadow of death. In those seasons of our life where we don't know where to go, we don't know where to turn to, we've come to the end of ourselves where we're going through some terrible loss in our life, the Lamb who is our shepherd is with you. 
And he has in his hand a rod and a staff to protect you and to comfort you. And we follow the lamb by placing our trust in him. By believing that he is our shepherd. That he not only saves us as the lamb, but he also leads us as the lamb who is our shepherd. He leads us with his own self-sacrificial love for you. His own self-sacrificial love for you and what he wants to give to you in, in your life. And we can trust him. You can trust him. In whatever circumstances you are going through right now, what does it look like for you to lean into him and to trust him today that he is your good shepherd? That he is walking with you through this thing? Friends, at Broadway, this is a a difficult and hard time for us. But we can trust him. He is the good shepherd who is here, and he is walking with us. What does it look like right now for us as a community, as a sheep under his care, to lean into him together? In the last week, there's been a passage of scripture that has repeatedly come to the attention of Katie and to me from a variety of sources and people who God has sent to encourage us. It's from Exodus chapter 14, when the Israelites were standing at the edge of the Red Sea with nowhere to go, as Pharaoh and his army were bearing down on them. And this is what Moses says to the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you only need to be still. The Lord will fight for you, and you only need to be still. We can trust that the Good Shepherd will fight for us. He has a rod and a staff that is more powerful than any weapon we can find, any strategy or plan or purpose that we can come up with, and we can trust him. He is walking with us. He wants good for you and for your life. And I know that he wants good for this church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to faithfully follow the lamb wherever he goes. Wherever he leads us, that we would follow him. I pray that in our lives that we would bear witness to you. In whatever way we find, wherever we find us, in whoever we are with, we will bear witness to your good work of salvation in our lives. Lord, we pray that we would be people who worship you, who give you the honor and the glory that you deserve because of who you are. And Father, I pray that today that you would teach us to trust you in our individual lives, in our church, that we would trust you with, uh, with our homes, that we would trust you with our city and with our country. Lord, that we would trust you, knowing that you are the good shepherd who is also the lamb, who has won every victory that needs to be won. Amen.